Julie, today's discussion is going to highlight some important aspects of the PwC Pulse Survey, specifically as they relate to the financial services sector. Not all sectors are responding the same to our current environment, so today's discussion is going to be incredibly insightful. I agree, Margie, and I think the important part that we'll really get to dive deep and highlight is that this sector and this industry focuses on many different participants that are managing, investing, or intermediating capital and funding for many stakeholders. So it's going to be really interesting to get their perspective with respect to all that we're talking about today. So Margie, with that, let's talk tax. You're listening to Tap into Tax, PwC's podcast series covering current regulatory, legislative, and technology hot topics through the lens of our tax technical leaders, as well as process and technology subject matter specialists. This podcast features discussions with some of our leading minds around tax, trade, and domestic policy. Stay tuned to our regular updates and subscribe to our series to get notified as new episodes are published. Hello, listeners, and welcome to Tap into Tax. This is Margie Dungeshaw, and as you know, I'm PwC's U.S. Tax Reporting and Strategy Leader. As usual, joining me today is my co-host, Julie Allen, PwC's National Tax Services Market Leader. Today, we are very excited to welcome Krish Chandrasekhar, PwC's U.S. Financial Tax Services Leader, and he has joined us today on Tap into Tax. Krish, it is so great to have you on the show. Savior Margie, thanks for inviting me to the discussion. I've always been told I have a great face for podcasting, so I'm excited to go. <laughs> Fantastic. So on today's episode of Tap into Tax, we will explore tax policy and the financial services sector and insights from the second round of PwC's Road to the Election 2020 Executive Pulse Survey, or as we will be referring to it throughout the podcast, the Pulse Survey. The Pulse Survey tracks the changing sentiment and priorities of business executives. PwC recently released the second round of the Pulse survey, which surveyed almost 600 corporate leaders, and those leaders include CFOs, COOs, CHROs, and tax and risk policy leaders. In his role as a U.S. financial services leader, Krish has obtained in-depth knowledge of the financial services sector and is attuned to the evolving developments and priorities of business leaders in this space with respect to tax policy. Margie, I think that's a very key point to highlight. Krish has invaluable polls on this sector, and we're looking forward to hearing his insights. But before we continue with that, Krish, can you please clarify for our listeners, what is the scope of companies and clients who are covered under that umbrella of financial services, and why does this matter? Thanks, Julie. I thought it'd be useful to spend a little bit of time. So when the word financial services is used, at least in our firm, it includes banks, asset managers, insurance companies, real estate companies. And what's common to all of them is all of these companies are involved in some shape or form around managing financial capital. Now, all of these companies do very different things with that financial capital. There's some companies that are simply finding sources of this capital and providing to those people that need it. There's other companies that are managing risk around this capital, protecting that capital. And then there's other companies that are there fundamentally to maximize returns on that capital. And so what's common is the capital. 
But what's important to understand is there's a very diversified group of companies doing different things around it. The second reason I wanted to talk about it, other than bringing out the diversity, is for what we're going to talk about here, those differences matter because those companies and what they're doing with that capital means that they have different stakeholders. So they have customers and clients in certain cases that might be actual retail investors and consumers. In some cases, they might be pension funds and governments. And in some cases, might be just business-to-business transactions. And what all of this leads us to is their interest in tax policy can be very diversified. So banks and insurance companies, they're often in corporate form. They're really interested in the tax rate and the impact that has. They're really interested in understanding how tax policy changes might impact their ability to lend. They're interested in understanding what that does to interest rates because that drives a lot of returns for them. On the other hand, there's asset managers. They're interested in the corporate rate, but they're actually sometimes much more interested in understanding what does that mean on an after-tax basis for their investments? What does it mean for the partners in the firm? What does it mean for individual tax rates? So I just wanted to lay out that diversity so that as we start to drill down into the detailed tax questions, we kind of keep that difference in mind. Chris. Thank you very much for setting the framework for us, because I do think that will help our understanding during the rest of the podcast. So it's clear that the financial services sector comprises a diverse range of companies with varying needs and varying priorities as related to tax policy. So on that note, now that we've got a solid understanding of what the financial services sector is, let's dive a little deeper into our insights from the second round of the PwC Pulse survey that was just conducted in October. So, Krish, can you summarize the key findings from this Pulse survey that were related specifically to financial services? Sure, Margie. So first, a caveat. We did this survey in October, and as of the recording here, there's a lot of uncertainty here. But I think it's instructive to see what the sector was thinking about and what our clients were thinking about towards the end of October. First, it was clear that all financial services respondents felt that tax policy was top of the agenda. Taxes really mattered to our respondents. Universally, and when I say universally, almost three quarters of the respondents believed that tax rates were going to rise, irrespective of which party won control of the Senate or the Congress and who was president. So that was a common theme. Tax policy was top of the agenda. I think in terms of relative importance, I think the expectation was that a Biden win and Senate control would clearly lead to material changes. Whereas a Trump win and a continued Republican control might lead to a little more muted changes in tax policy. In addition to tax policy, they were concerned about other elements that clearly broader businesses are concerned about. They were concerned on impacts on the economy, the pandemic and the economic outlook, trade impacts, and just sector developments. There's a lot going on in the sector outside of what we've discussed that's impacting every sector. And it includes regulatory developments, LIBOR changes, and things of that nature. Krish, thank you for your insights with respect to the points that you highlighted that are really important for financial service companies and key takeaways from the PwC Pulse survey. Now let's switch focus for just a minute and let's think about tax policy and the issues that we should be looking at with respect to tax policy. And I'd like to look at this from two different perspectives. The first perspective that I'd like to explore is around what should a head of tax or a VP of tax of an FS company be talking to the C-suite and the board about? And related to this, what are we seeing boards and the C-suite asking their tax leaders? And the second perspective I'd like to discuss is around how an FS tax leader is looking at his or her own tax function and tax strategy and execution priorities. 
So first, let's start with perspective one. Imagine that you are a tax leader and you're helping the rest of the C-suite or your board members understand the impact of potential tax policy on the business as a whole. Krish, with that, what are the key tax policy headlines that the C-suite and tax department will need to discuss and strategize? I think what's really important for our heads of tax to do in this sort of an environment and in talking about things like tax policy is presented in the language of the C-suite and what their broader operational concerns are. And so I'd like to say that the way for a head of tax to talk to the C-suite and the board is to talk around three or four broad agenda items that are hitting that board agenda and the C-suite agenda on a regular basis. And those four areas are first, capital and liquidity, second, risk, third, automation, and fourth, reporting. And so let me double-click a little bit around each one of those in terms of how you can bring tax to that land. For banks and insurers, capital and liquidity is king. So in that context, Julie, a set of issues to address and clarify is how current and expected tax changes are going to impact capital protection. For example, either to a higher tax rate that will lead to reduced earnings or a transaction tax or a book income-based tax might lead to uncertainty in tax modeling or increased tax burdens. So around capital and liquidity, I think it's useful to know that there's a number of issues in the tax policy agenda that directly impact return on equity, return on capital for financial services institutions. That's the most important measure of returns for them. And tax is a big line item that then impacts that return on equity. So speaking to the C-suite on how new taxes, potentially a raise in taxes, might impact that ROE number must be something that the head of tax is presenting on a regular basis to the C-suite. Similarly, for asset managers, it's important to understand what is the impact of tax policy changes to a return on investment? So what's the after-tax return on investment? What is the impact of various rules around market changes and how will that impact returns that will be achieved? And finally, the individual impact. If you're an asset manager, how does tax policy impact the treatment of tax gains? Is it going to be taxed on an ordinary basis or a capital gains basis? Beyond moving to capital and liquidity needs then, we can then go to the question of risk. The sector overall looks at returns on a risk-adjusted basis. So it's really easy to bring tax into that conversation because you can talk about how tax risk needs to be considered in looking at risk-adjusted returns. Then I move to the automation agenda, and I know this is something is, is near and dear to Margie's heart. That is in the center of most conversations, whether it's finance transformation discussions, data transformation discussions, Tax has a central role to play in providing their point of view and providing their agenda in terms of noting what is needed so that the needed reporting, which is the next part we're going to, can be met and the needed computations can be done. And so let's go to the fourth part, which is the reporting. This relates to both the capability. How can you report efficiently? How can you do it correctly? How can you minimize risk through appropriate reporting? And then a really important part for FS is a number of our clients have a really important reputational lens with respect to tax policy. And being able to connect the tax reporting capability to the transparency agenda, the reputational risk agenda is really important for our sector. Krish, that framework makes a lot of sense. So let's double click into what that means based on where we sit today. And where we sit today, we still do not know the outcome of the presidential election. So what should companies be thinking about with respect to the election outcome, whatever that might be? So maybe I'd start, Julie, with noting that RFS clients tend to signal sentiment through the capital markets. And I think it's really interesting what the market did yesterday and what it's been doing. It's actually had one of its most bullish days, despite all this uncertainty. And you might ask, why is that? 
And purely from an editorial perspective, I think this is because there's now anticipation of not having to deal with significant tax increase risk or any material regulatory changes. So stepping back, where we are today, even it appears that we're going to have divided government, and it does not appear that the Democrats are going to have needed votes in the Senate, it appears that there's a limited chance that there's going to be significant tax rate increases. What all of this allows is that FS industry participants can take some time now to continue to digest and execute on existing tax reform provisions that they've been working on already. And there's enough complexity to navigate there. The other advantage of some stability here around tax policy is our FS tax VPs can potentially direct more resources and time to the automation and reporting agenda as well. As part of tax reform, there are very significant complex tax issues that impacted each of banks, insurers, real estate, and partnerships. A continuation of the execution here means that this breathing room will allow further focus on reporting clarity, automation, and functional focus, something that we can discuss later. Of the broad issues that we've noted, the risk agenda is also relevant today, as significant international developments have continued to raise uncertainty around unilateral taxes. We also expect increased audit activity, and so double taxation risk has also arisen from that. And so I think that's observation number one. In this environment, I think the market and our industry participants can take the time to digest and execute on what they have already got underway under tax reform and all the stuff that they were executing based on that agenda. There were importantly significant tax issues for each of banks, insurers, real estate companies, and partnerships as part of tax reform. And clients were still figuring out a number of the regulatory packages. So the opportunity exists to continue on that and formalize the planning that was done over the past few months and and even the last year, if you will. The second part around that continuation of execution is they can go back to what they have identified as gaps around their automation agenda and see whether they have the capabilities on not just meeting the technical requirements around tax reform, but actually also being able to perform the reporting requirements and the automation agenda that they had set for themselves. And then finally, since we are talking about how to approach the C-suite on what's coming next, I think if you wanted to put a little teaser on where you might see policy convergence in this divided government environment, one can look to where there's been some agreement between both of the sides. First, Republicans and Democrats have agreed that there's a need for fiscal stimulus and that should happen relatively quickly. So that's one area to focus on. What would that mean for tax policy? Similarly, both sides seem to agree that there has to be something done around worker protections. What would that imply in terms of minimum wages and cost structures? Finally, there's been a lot of questions around market protection, price transparency, antitrust. So to the extent you are in sectors that are impacted by these issues, those are areas where you might want to move your radar in terms of focusing on implications. Krish, great insights. So let's change gears a little bit and let's talk about other perspectives. Like perspective number two, you're a tax leader, you're looking into your internal team. What are key discussion points for you and your tax team? Sure. So Margie, I'll I'll stick with those four broad areas, but maybe combine a couple. So now looking down and talking to me as a head of tax and looking at my tax function, first on the capital and liquidity point, while most of the financial services industry has been spared like liquidity concerns and cash pressures, like some other sectors during the pandemic, the tax function though still continues to be joined with the business in understanding what capital needs are. So that's critical. So all the tactical tax planning that can be done to shore up capital for regulated entities in banking insurance remains critically important right now. Next, moving into the automation and reporting side, 
as an example, if you look at the asset management sector, that sector needs to ensure that their tax models have been updated and their deal models reflect the after-tax effects on investments. You have to look at whether you have the modeling capability and understand all the inputs that need to be built in to that tax model. And that'll help determine whether there are gaps in your automation plan. To go a little deeper, banks and insurers, in my view, have just begun on this journey in our experience. And we have significant opportunity to kind of look into workflow and modeling tools and enterprise tools where computational capability, modeling capability, integrating with the broader finance data models has a real opportunity here. For asset managers and partnership structures, we now have to overlay reporting needs for the partners and investors. And there we are seeing clients starting to turn their attention. And then while it's not unique to FS, I wanted to spend a little bit of time talking about the functional side. We talk a lot about technology, but now tax VPs have to really evaluate how their function looks in terms of capability. So more specifically, what are the skills they're looking for and how much of it is tax technical and how much of it is technology and process related skills that they need to build on their tax function and tax teams? And then one final point on risk. We talk a lot about how reporting and risk are actually interrelated. You need the capability to report clearly and have the right data to be able to meet the reporting requirements. But an important observation is these requirements are not just domestic, but there are significant international reporting requirements and tax complexities arising. So we really have to spend some time on not losing sight of the international agenda, even though the domestic agenda has been front and center for the last few months. And Krish, thanks for those insights and for the detailed overview with those discussion points that are very key when we're dealing with all of these areas. And so in an increasingly sensitive economic environment, it's clear from what you're saying that cash savings are increasingly important for businesses and that automation strategies and risk management techniques, that those can be integral tools for achieving greater liquidity. I think now that's a good segue to a current topic that continues to evolve, which is remote working. You know, we are now in the eighth month of remote work and the global pandemic. Can you please share some insights on what this has meant from the perspective of human resource leaders? Great question. So once everyone went remote towards the March-April timeframe, we started asking a number of human resource leaders what sort of visibility they had around their employee footprint. And there are some interesting things when you look at it from a tax lens. Almost a third of the CHROs noted that they're not accounting for, or rather they're unable to account for where their employees are physically located on a daily basis. As someone who operates in the tax function, not knowing location of workers can be concerning. It has implications for payroll tax. It can have reporting requirements. It can have implications on PE and nexus issues. So that's an interesting observation if you are a head of tax. Another question we asked was whether employees were moving, so serving employees and understanding where they were in terms of location of work. And a number of employees noted a third of the employees said that they've changed their living situation due to the pandemic. Top reasons included short-term moves to save money, but it's still too early to tell if these moves will stabilize, whether they'll be permanent, and what the implications will be. So, Krish, it sounds like a key takeaway is you need to know where your employees are. That's right, Julie. And what's interesting for me, and this still remains to be determined, but a number of different clients are taking different views on what they're going to do about it. There are some clients that are saying, first, we need to determine what our steady state return to work policies are going to be. And once we understand what the policies are going to be, we'll start to understand what the footprint is, what the implications are. On the other hand, there are some other clients that want a current assessment and want to understand, are we already creating an exposure from a tax perspective, a domicile perspective, a residency perspective? 
So there is no universal trend that we're observing, but it will be an important area to monitor in the next few months. We have really enjoyed having you with us today, Krish. And so just as we wrap up, can you share some additional key takeaways from this discussion that both the tax and the C-suite departments should keep top of mind? Sure. So Julie, I mean, I think the important observation is as of today, there appears to be limited potential for material tax policy change. So as a head of tax, we have a chance to breathe here. There's a lot of processing still to do around tax reform. The new packages that came out around the international regulations are still being digested. And so this gives our clients an opportunity to fully get their heads around these new requirements. Secondly, given this, this might be a good time to reflect on the technology and data needs and the process gaps that we experienced for the last cycle and see where we can move the needle on that agenda. Third, and definitely not to be overlooked, we need to definitely engage on the international footprint. There's increasing diversion of paths from a policy perspective, and a lot of international jurisdictions have the same constraints that the U.S. fiscal authorities have, and so we expect a lot more controversy in the international arena. Then finally, going back to something we heard from our Pulse survey, the expectation, though, still remains that in the medium term, tax rates have to go up given where the economy is. So it'll start, we believe, in the state area then. So we expect to see aggressive state tax authorities first, and we need to make sure that we have a strong position on state and local tax matters. Krish, thank you so much for your time today. And Krish and Margie, thank you for this great discussion. And last, thanks to all of our listeners for joining us today. And we'll talk tax soon. This podcast is brought to you by PwC All Rights Reserved. PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates, and may sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.